USB microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Do not attempt to adjust your device. This is Extreme Freedom Audio Bulletin. It cannot be traced, cannot be stopped, and it is the only free voice left in the geek revolution. And welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. It is Derek and myself. Uh, Jules's maternity leave is coming to an end, so she's trying to get back to a regular schedule. Hopefully back to us on a regular schedule as well. And Brett just had a change of shift this week. Blame it on the storms. But we are joined by the gentleman who brightens up the lives of Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, brings color to He-Man and the Thundercats, and that's Jeremy Caldwell. Did I say that right? You got it perfect, yeah. Jeremy okay. Caldwell. So how are you doing? Happy today, to be here. Oh, I'm great. You. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, sitting here with, had some dinner, and uh, now I got a cool, refreshing adult beverage, and I am good, good to talk. Awesome. <laughs> so you are one of those rare people that we a lot of people don't think about in comics and that's co- colorist mm. how'd you get into the realm of being a colorist and i guess why why a colorist um well actually i most of my my training was uh, my college years was in painting oil on canvas um, so I was always kind of involved in the color, color theory, um, that sort of realm. And then I went, uh, had some kids, became a stay-at-home dad, kind of fell out of the workforce for a while. And then when, once they were old enough, I decided that well, my wife and I decided that it was time for me to get a job. And I, you know, kind of went back to what what I knew. That was comics and painting. So I kind of met up with a bunch of people at local shows, local conventions here in the Portland, uh, Oregon area, and. Uh, uh, most of them were – it was back then it was Mercury Studio, people like Matthew Clark and Ron Randall, um, Steve Lieber, people like that. And uh, eventually kind of started getting little side work from them, helping them out on things. And then it just kind of snowballed. And, and four years – about four years later now, I'm, I'm working full-time all the time. Uh, finally made it up to some DC books. So that's that's the short story. It's okay. long and nuanced, but you, nobody really wants to hear that part. Now, you, <laughs> all the gritty detail. Yeah. Now you have a history with TMNT in the past. Uh, you, you've got some time with Xenoscope. Uh, yep, and, that was one of my earlier jobs. Yeah. And then um, a lot of Dark Horse and, and IDW stuff. Yep. How? So with all that, let's start current with Human and Thundercats. How how did that project come about? Um, that and one that, actually was right. And I was going to say was, how uh, that mashup too. Uh, I had no say in the actual mashup, <laughs> um, the the writing, the, the deciding to do the project. Um, I was, you know, Freddie and I have Freddie Williams, uh, the artist on the book. I've known him for gosh a decade now, maybe I don't. No, I started out, I, I was an inker and I inked him on a very small project back in the day when we were both, before he was DC, long before we were any dream of this. Um, and then he, he, we worked together on a Dark Horse thing when I switched to colors and then uh, we did the Bat 
Batman Turtles book because he wanted somebody who could work in a painterly style. So that, I love that book. Sprung, sprung springboarded. Uh, once that was as successful as it was, we pretty much got to he got to kind of pick what he wanted, and I guess He Man Thundercats was also being tossed up in the air, as I understand it. And we grabbed it, and he asked for me to be on it again with him, and so that's how I ended up on He Man Thundercats. As for how the crossover came about. Um, Mattel, <laughs> uh, Mattel and DC. No, sir. No, sir. <laughs> I don't know. So, what what has been um, between Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Human Thundercats? Um, wh- what's been one of the more attractive parts besides being wanted by the writer and the artist to be a part of this team? Um, I mean, you could well, have always I'm- said no. Why? Why these <laughs> titles? <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, I, I would never say no to. Um, it was my first DC book offer was Batman and Turtles. Uh, they actually, um, Freddie asked for me, and they actually had to kind of work to get me in the system. So I wasn't going to turn that okay. down. But um, having, I'm a lifelong Batman fan. Um, I've drawn him. I think my earliest sketchbooks are full of you know Batman standing on something on a skyline. You know, yeah. uh, so that that was for me was a no brainer. I got to come back. Batman. Um, Turtles, I've always been close to. Um, I, w- I was never like the big fan when they started because that's kind of the time I was out of comics doing mm-hmm. my, my my more college year adulty type thing where I thought it was too too hoity-toity, I guess, for, <laughs> for comics. Now uh, I, see how, I think we how, all hit how, that phase at one point. Yeah, it, it, not my brightest hour. Anyhow, <laughs> yeah. cause, especially considering how I turned out. Um, yeah, really. But, so yeah, and then Turtles uh, was a great uh, property as well, because it was one of my earliest published inking credits back in the day. Uh, So it kind of being a lifelong Batman fan, a Turtle fan, and then uh, first DC book, uh, James Tinian IV was doing amazing work on Detective at the time, Mm -hmm. co-writing that, I believe. And so, and then being Freddie being just such a a friend of mine that that really uh, seemed to have faith in my abilities that he was willing to put such a risk on a high profile book with somebody who'd never worked with DC before. Um, I just, I had to say yes. Was there any, um, was there any thoughts that maybe, you know, you're handling the turtles and Batman and was there any nerves or, Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> I, w- I sweated every page of that series. Um, even after it was getting you know fairly well-reviewed and Freddie was very happy in DC editorial, Jim Chadwick was amazing. Um, but yeah, I-, I was always afraid that I was, you know, a- as an artist, a lot of us, we never feel we're good enough or deserve the, the, the jobs, the praise that we're getting. <laughs> sure. um, so I had a, a lot of of um, pressure on me to, you know, kind of step up into the major leagues, basically, is what I kind of counted, you know, DC Big Two. So I was a major leaguer at that point, and I had to, you know, perform at that level with two major properties that a lot of fans had huge, you know, emotional investment into. Right. And I didn't want to screw it up. Well, I can say, um, being a fan of Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and He-Man and Thundercats, that the the artwork 
and and your colors is definitely oh uh, yeah uh just definitely one of the things that absolutely sold me on the series thank on you both yeah. series because it, it, it's i mean being that i love the characters it's it's absolutely beautiful when freddie has i mean i honestly cannot give enough credit to freddie uh i know i'm probably sounds like i'm punning off credit but he's <laughs> he is he got an understanding of all of these characters so much deeper than i do you know he can quote right. off everything about them and he knows them he could probably draw them from memory all the random he-man and thundercats characters that were in an episode um so to be able to to have that enthusiasm that depth of knowledge um i think he's the one who really nailed the personality you know the the look the the postures of the characters the way you know they behaved on screen so to speak you know that really was 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 his contribution that that made the series, in my opinion, so successful. Right. Now, yeah. were you were you kept to a very distinct color palette that, or or did you have liberties to or room to take some liberties on your own to to modify things a little bit? I actually had quite a bit of liberty to take. Um, obviously, I went with a, a, a more blue, green, grittier, muted tone for the Batman Turtles book because um, it was goth based in Gotham and it had you know a bit more of a, a grit to it. Right. And then for He Man Thundercats, I, I definitely brightened it up a lot with some of those, especially the the power effects that happen throughout all the different characters have all these you know the the, the wands and and you know him turning adam turning into he-man and you know stuff like right. that i was able to to bump up and use a lot more oranges and and warm tones and in, in more intense color but as far as the actual character colors yeah a lot of that was you know obviously i had to stay on model for the properties you know nickelodeon for the turtles and then all of mattel for pretty much everything else um so yeah I wasn't able to change a lot, and there was a ton of reference. Mostly, I had lots of action figure uh, reference that I found. So, um, so I stayed pretty close on model as much as I could, but then played a lot with the environmental lighting and you know creating certain things warmer and cooler, and you know the standard. Um, storytelling parts of coloring, um, but as far as the actual colors, I had it seemed like I had so much uh, freedom to do what I wanted, and everybody just was always on board. You know, Freddie and I worked very close together. I would send him colors as I was working, and so we would kind of bounce back and forth ideas, um, and then kind of go from there. Nice. Okay. So, so from a colorist perspective, what would you say is your favorite version of Batman? Oh. I'm actually very what was it the the Jim Apero era um the blue with the gray cape um yep. that what is that late 80s I think I can't remember yeah. I I'm not very good with the with the the, the comic trivia stuff to be honest <laughs> um I was always just a reader as a kid and then I once I got into it I was became more of the the detail of how you make them but um yeah I was definitely in that that era of uh the Death of Robin storyline, um, that sort of stuff. Actually, the the Mike Mignola co- covers. I didn't know who that was at the time, but that's actually what drew me to those that four issue. Uh, oh, yeah. Death yeah. of the Family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was one of the most influential things for me reading as a kid. 
that period of time definitely had some interesting colors for Batman too. Yeah, and the, the, the Batman franchise. That was that was the Batman I liked with, with the slightly elongated ears, right? And how and the and it was still the the coloring from what we knew from what we saw on TV with the with the old Batman sixty six and and the cartoons. Yeah, I think they had a really. You know, I didn't study the colors that I wanted to draw back then when I was reading those, so I was copying the the line art. Um, and so I, I look back at them now, like, oh, you know, the, the colors were so, you know, it's pre digital, obviously, so it was right. it was all these really strong, you know, block color type events that were really. Yeah, you know, I look back at it now, I'm like, wow, that's cool, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of pre digital, um, how do you think that the digital age has changed coloring for? Uh, uh, like for the better, or do you miss the old days, or of how um, they used to color? I well, I never was part of the old the old days right. of color, the actual doing <laughs> color guides and stuff. I have some yeah. friends that, that did, um, but I would that predates me. I find that the digital age has opened up a lot of opportunities for things that would have never been possible, obviously, in a traditional uh, color guide method. It also opens up a lot of pitfalls of bad coloring um, because there's too many options for for if you're not if you're not aware of the right choices to make um, right. you can make some really bad ones <laughs> in in digital versions. Um, so uh, I but as far as like my style of painterly, you know I, that's how I, I usually label my style is is much more painterly. Um, could not be done traditionally except for <laughs> except for actually being painted if you actually did a full painting comic um like Which Alex forever. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah but um yeah as far as you know working digitally with my style i you know i, I could never imagine doing it traditionally but i think it, digital coloring is great because it also allows for those more flat styles those more painterly styles those you know you have tons of different styles going out in, in coloring right now and and you can almost pinpoint who's doing what style um and you know you get a, a marte garcia and you know different different people that you know hollingsworth and all these styles that you can kind of pick out and be like oh yeah that's their style but it's all done pretty much with the same technology which is right. you know again i mean pencilers and inkers have that same thing where they're like oh yeah it's still the same technology it's just style and we kind of got to that point i think with coloring that now we can be more we can use the same tool and get our own style in there okay now f- having colored he-man and thundercats are in the process do you have a favorite character that you know like i i love putting my own spin to this to this character um I actually Lionel was was actually my my favorite honestly of the characters. Um, as far as it might putting my spin on him, I you know I bumped up his saturation quite a bit, and made you know the, the bright oranges and, and certain effects on him. I just really liked painting that slightly furish texture. And, you know, because he, like, he has he doesn't have skin; he actually has fur. Right. So I tried to give kind of a little bit of a texture to it, um, and then just the way I could. Get some of the lighting on his face. Uh, Freddie, for some reason, I, I don't know if his. 
I haven't talked to him about it, but if Lionel was one of his favorites because the modeling he would do when he was drawing really lent itself well to much stronger lighting effects. You know, a heart, you know, bright Kiaris, you know, a uh, uh, a Kiaris where you got you know the rim light and the highlight and the shadow and all that stuff. He really pushed that. So that was one of my favorites. Plus, you know, the character itself was near and dear to me. So cool. Now, what about? He's a very colorful character. So yeah, that, now, that what, must make it fun. <laughs> what about over on uh, the Batman team and T side? Um, definitely. Um, overall, it was Batman. Uh, just because I can never tire of Batman. If if you follow me on Facebook or anything, you'll see. Most of my warm-ups are some sort of Batman. <laughs> and I, I, see, I think I color more Batman per year than any any other character. Um, but then in – I don't know if it counts as a spoiler at this long after it's been published. But with when they, they, the Batman Rogue Gallery does their little transformation thing and I got to play with all of those guys, that was actually my most fun moment of the coloring, having them be all – uh, all changed around, but still getting to use their their colors that you had to recognize the characters as well. So overall, Batman, but specifically the uh, the Rogues Gallery when they in Arkham when it got all nuts. <laughs> okay, then I'm going to ask just out of curiosity because I know okay. what my favorite Rogue is. Favorite Rogue? <laughs> uh, so hard. Um, I would. I, I could joke and I'd say still, there's only one right answer, but I'm not going to well, joke that way. And I, I could I could disagree with you on that. <laughs> I, I still I, I'm going to have to say Joker, um, ah, just because choice. he has touched on so many of the stories that were important to me, specifically growing up, um, and and the characterization that I've seen from him over the years is is good, and and, and the face is just so fun to color with the the, you know, the whites and the greens and the lips and then his purple suits as a colorist you, you just he's got it all <laughs> uh, see that. mr freeze was a lot of fun though um at, getting to play with all the blues uh especially when when uh, freddie turned him into the polar bear character that was you know just really fun but as a character yeah. overall he was he was never one of my big my top ones but when i got that issue i was like oh mr freeze is gonna be fun <laughs> i i'm a real fan fave of the riddler i you know i almost went riddler um I, I really liked I've liked him overall. I really liked him in the the Batman video games, uh, the Arkham Arkham City. I think it was where he had yeah Arkham Asylum, I think so. and uh, he, he did really well in there. Um, I just I never read a whole lot of the Riddler issues uh, growing up, but yeah, uh, the, as far as his costume, his personality, his his mannerisms, uh, you know, I always thought that was a really pretty good uh, uh, character as well. So I, I agree, that's a good second choice. But I, I, I'll put it I, at a second chance. <laughs> I, I think I think Riddler's had one of the um, f- most fun um, minis with Run Riddler Run. It was just one that was I just never expected to see in, in a Riddler story. And uh, but I've always been fascinated with Riddler ever since uh, the Frank Gorshin days. Nice. So now, what were some of your favorite titles before making the move to to DC as a colorist? Titles that I read or titles that I worked on. Um, well, we'll start off with titles that you worked on. Okay. Um, my favorite, oh, this is a tough one. Um, things that I really enjoyed working on, uh, in not specific order, but Powerpuff Girls for IDW, um, with Sarah Gatos editing and Troy Little on writing and art. 
that was um, I my son who is now seventeen. When he was little, we used to watch the Powerpuff Girls movie uh, almost daily, I would say. And so when I got the offer to work on Powerpuff Girls, it was straight out of, I mean, so on model, so on character. Troy, you know, really wrote and drew them so perfectly that I just, you know, that was a great job. Um, Most of my IDW books were really fun books. You know, I worked on Edward Scissorhands. I worked on Dexter's Laboratory, Peabody and Sherman, um, all those kind of cartoon books that were so um, influential to me kind of growing up, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, I watched it before school every day when I was a kid, before I got on the bus. Um, but then, you know, at Dark Horse, I had great runs with specifically Trekker. Um, Ron Randall's Trekker was one of the first important gigs I ever got. Ron's been a friend of mine for many years. I used to help him out with inking. And then when I switched to colors, he was one of the, the first people to kind of give me a nod and say, hey, that's kind of the look I, I want when I'm going to relaunch my Trekker series from the 80s. Um, he, Dark Horse collected it all, and we created new stuff for Dark Horse Presents, and then a new, um, another new story. So the Trekker, the Trekker work in Dark Horse at Dark Horse was uh, very important to me. And then my first coloring work with Freddy was on a series called Brain Boy, um, where they the new Project Dark Sky, I believe it was called back a couple of years back. Anyhow, um, and I got to work with Fred Van Lent for the first time on that. And so those were those were really good. And that's what got me in touch with Freddy to know that I'm actually a colorist as well because um, that was the first time we'd worked together as colorist and and line artist nice. um then pro- oh i can't can't skip my uh top cow stuff with philip sevy oh. and uh the poseidon nine athena nine um i oh. got to work with teeny howard ryan katie uh, and then i worked with matt hawken for um the tide with philip as well so and philip got me on to the, with top cow he picked me I'd never met him before, um, and he just knew me knew my work from, uh, I believe it was Deviant Art is where he knew, found my work, and he wanted to work with me. So that just kind of happened as a uh, as a here I want to work with him, and Matt said okay, and eventually I we have a great relationship. We've you know roomed at Emerald City before, um, <laughs> Emerald City Comic Con, uh, my local show, and uh, I was still wanting to work with him more and more. Uh, he just wrapped up a Tomb Raider book for uh, Dark Horse. So, um, as far as reading books, so, um, gosh, Saga has been one of my, my always go-to must-read series. Invincible, um, yeah, Kirkman and, and Ryan, uh, been long, long-time fans of theirs. I knew them beforehand, um, before the books back on some of the websites we used to visit. And uh, so I, I loved watching all their success grow for that. Um, as far as... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of specific ones. I read a lot of in- indie books, um, independent books. Uh, I guess image books mostly. So um, Mitch is doing really well nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I, I like uh, some Hulk. I like uh, Iron Man was always my 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 top hero growing up. Uh, I haven't followed him as much lately, um, or her now. Apparently, I, I think is what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not in the loop as as much now. Sorry. Um, and uh, yes, Superman. When my uh, I've had friends working on Superman uh, on and off throughout the years. I, I keep you know I try and I try and support and read a lot of what my friends 
friends are working on, which as my friends list grows, it seems like I've got a lot of stuff on my plate to read. I know the feeling. It's that catching up that gets hard to do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right now I'm rereading the whole Astro City uh, series. Uh, oh, Kirby's that's good stuff. stuff. Yeah, that was one of the, the early books that got me back into comics. I think that was in the, gosh, early 90s? I, I don't remember when it started. I met him at a convention here uh, in the Northwest and when I was still in college, and that turned me on to Astro City, and I've been following ever since. Now, have you been surprised on just how how many folks are based out of the Portland area? <laughs> yes. Well, no. I, I, yes, there's a ton. No, I'm not surprised. Um, I I've been here. I think 12 years now about yeah about 12 years and it was already a booming comic you know mecca when i was moved here um and it just grows every seems like everybody here knows a comic person a uh, comic creator or we have retailers publishers um dark horse obviously oni image now moving up here um yeah. idw has a branch office or some situation where they're up here now partly no, no. Uh, and so yeah, it, it's it's great. Uh, we have actually get-togethers, uh, comic mixers in the area, and uh, usually about once a month. And they are crazy. You 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 walk in and you're like, hey, there's you know Steve Lieber and you know, Jeff Parker's over there, Paul Tobin, and you know uh, Kurt Music's here, Matthew Clark. It's just everybody is around here, and we just get to hang out, and it's. Kind of surreal as a as a previous fan now professional to so many of these people. I I, I read their work growing up. You know, I, I had a the last mixer, uh, Marv Wolfen, was in town for a oh. uh, convention, and he came to the mixer afterward. And I sat and talked with Marv Wolfen for I don't know thirty minutes, forty minutes, and just. I mean, this guy is legendary and just the, the chillest guy you'll ever meet, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I was just like, you know, a friend of mine was there and he was just geeking out because Teen Titans is his night, you know, Nightwings is <laughs> that, that, his thing. That was my, that was my survival with all the moves I had as a kid was the 1980, 85 Nightwing yep. or uh, Teen Titans. Yeah, Teen Titans. Yep. So, so that one move I had before graduating high school in 86, even though it was just upstate, it, I didn't have my my titans oh. Oh. Or, or, or at least a, at least the wolfman perez era titans um and, and then here i am years later uh with a daughter and her three-year-old teacher for her, the three-year-old class, classroom she was in at her daycare uh her teacher her adoptive spiritual dad as she puts it is george perez <laughs> who lives mm. here in the orlando area oh he does so it's like oh to, to meet george was <laughs> meet george. That, 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 that was a highlight now it's to to meet marv and then yeah i'm set <laughs> yeah he he i i could not believe you know just sitting there I, he introduced himself. He's like, hi, I'm Marv. You know, I didn't know, I have any idea what he looked like because, you know, I read books, not see people. And right. all of a sudden I'm right. putting it together. I'm like, wait a second. This is Marv Wolfman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here having this conversation. We're talking about stuff and I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it's it's great. The, the Portland area. 
um, as far as the comic people are concerned. Um, and there's it's such a community that we have. I know there have been other areas, you know, New York and, and, and Los Angeles and, you know, other places that have had large collections of comic people. And while I was never part of them, so I can't truly speak to that, I feel like we have a great sense of community in the comic industry that the, these these gatherings, these, you know, these groups of people are from all the way from, you know, triple A titles at Marvel and DC to self-publishing and, you know, just starting out, you know, kids and we all get together and it's an even playing field. There's like no ego. It's just everybody is there just hanging out as as comic. You know, we actually it's like mini conventions. We all just get together and have yeah. a, a, a sense of camaraderie that we're all in this together and we all just want to make comics, you know, and it, it's it's a really a really great environment to be in. Yeah, it's really cool where we have the same thing um, down here with um, a lot of people down here. You know, with Perez and Palmiani and Connor and, um, oh, I can't remember. Just take a look at like half of Megacon's guest list and, and you'll see the, see who, who a lot of the locals are that are, are big names in the area as well. It's, it's just amazing to see just how many people across the country are in the comic biz. And, and then you just look back and go, why isn't this bigger? Right. Well, yeah, it seems like we have, there's so many people, but we all seem to kind of know each other. It's like a very small, like family feel, but it's a huge family. You know, yeah. it's not like, like, uh, I don't know, Hollywood or whatever, where there's so many people involved and, and you don't really connect much with them. But when I'm meeting people, it's always, even the, you know, the production people, People at the at DC or or the editorial or you know talent relations specifically uh, like Ben Abernathy is amazing from DC and uh, you know everybody just kind of knows each other and just it's a great feeling but yeah there's a there's a lot of us um, so you think yeah it should be you know like everybody seems to know a comic person somewhere and but it still feels like a small ish industry I guess what's coming up next for you after uh, He-Man Thundercats? Um, I actually have two series um, that I'm going to be working on that have not been announced yet, so I probably shouldn't announce them here. <laughs> so uh, they are. And <laughs> one is a six-issue series and one is a five-issue series. Um, one for DC, one for Dark Horse. Um, I continue working on um, covers. I'm doing a bunch of covers with Freddy for the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Universe book. Um, I took over coloring covers starting on issue nine, I think it was. Um, so that's uh, something I continue to do for the foreseeable future, as far as I know. Um, I did a bunch of new card art for the Upper Deck Marvel Legendary deck building game. That that uh, oh, I don't nice. know if you guys play that or know about that one, but no, I've done various... I've been working on expansions for that for like the last five expansions I think I've been part of. And now this one I did a whole bunch for. It hasn't been announced yet, so I can't say what it's about. <laughs> but I already turned in the work. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, nothing that I can announce. That kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> I, there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about, but I can't. Um, there's yeah, projects that I'm very excited. That's the way it goes. I know. Well, there's always this delay between production and release uh, and announcing. So um, hopefully um, they'll get announced soon, and then I can talk about them. Well, okay, speaking of delays, we know um, Marvel has had a lot of delays on a lot of their books. There's been some in the DC realm. What's been the longest delay on a book that you've worked on uh, from the time that 
it was supposed to be out to the time it actually came out? Oh, um, I don't know, honestly. Um, I'm usually brought in so close to the deadlines of when it has to go to print that if it's going to have been delayed um, because of upper the, the chain before me, um, it probably would have already happened and been and baked in by the time it got to me. Um, but I don't. I don't. I, I've never had a book ship late that I have been on, as far as I know. Um, whether or not that was its original solicitation date, I can't tell you because I don't usually pay very good attention to that. Uh, right. But I have been brought in at the last, you know, last second to to color this book so it ships on time, uh, sort of deal. But never anything. I've, I've had books that were supposed to happen that never happened. Um, but where I actually did some of the work and it just kind of fell apart was I don't know if they ever were solicited even because um, the business side of things is is beyond my scope of understanding. Mm-hmm. I just uh, yeah. But as, as far as things you know being late, I I've I've asked for an extension to deadlines maybe two three times in my career, but otherwise it's always been on time. So I, I yeah okay. Being the colorist, we're kind of the last line of defense. Mm. So, you know, when when things start, when people take extra time um, higher up the chain of production, then, you know, usually that comes out of our bank of time that we're given because it has to go to printer. So, yeah, I don't don't get to be late very often (laughs) and not keep my job, I should say. I could be late a lot and just wouldn't get any new work. (laughs) Okay. um, Do do you – I lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, so – do you ever feel, uh, as a colorist, do you ever feel? I don't know if underappreciated is the right word, but like there's a lot of a lot of pencilers that people know and a lot of writers these days, but you don't hear as much about like inkers and colorists and letterers and such. Um, I I feel properly appreciated. How's that? Um, I I I think that it has come a very long way in the the comic readership to to give credit to the colorists for their contributions. Um, I I don't consider myself you know or colorists in general. Um, and some many colorists may disagree with this as one of the superstars of the team. Um, I, I've described it. People have asked me this at conventions and stuff before, and I've I've uh, kind of described it as I feel like what we do is kind of like the soundtrack to a movie. You know, the writers and and artists are like the stars. They right. they they're actors, the director. You know, the ones that get the big credit on the on the film, and then we come along as colorists and give the emotional punches. You know. Oh, the 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 you know the warm action scenes, the cool reflective scenes, just like a soundtrack kind of would do. And so you know, I think we get the respect for that aspect of what we do. Um, but as far as you know, having a, a a fan base, so to speak, of you know getting you know major recognition and and being you know listed, I like cover credit. I do like that. Um, but being listed on a lot of the the top. You know, when, when when people are doing reviews of comics and stuff, a lot of times so they won't mention or leave off the colorist or not mention the colorist, and that's fine if it didn't really affect them um, as much as you know the writing or the art uh, or, or the drawing. I still I use the word art, but I I, I always try and catch myself on that because I think I'm part of the art team. Um, I would say so. I, so I, I yeah, to- I, I could totally relate. <laughs> well, yeah, in a different aspect. <laughs> I actually, I'm an audio engineer uh, in my oh, real yeah. job. 
So it's like the technicians, yeah, we're there to make everyone else look good. And as long exactly. as they look good, we do, we've done our job. Yeah, that I mean, I don't want to pull anybody out of the story to say, wow, Jeremy's really coloring this issue, you know, really well. I want him to enjoy the issue. And that and that's what writers and, and, and line artists do as well. Their their job is the story. They don't right. want to say make somebody stop and analyze a page because that pulls them out of the story. Right. And and I have the same philosophy that for me it's all about the story first and then if I can make it a cool image that they want to go back to later, you know, or or like, wow, that really hit me, that's that's what I know I've done well. But as far as like, oh wow, this must be a Jeremy Caldwell book, you know, sort of thing, you know, having a, a recognition of that is not high on my list at all. That's good. Well, I, I will admit there, there's been a couple titles I've I've picked up because of your your coloring. Thank um, you. Because I I'm one of those people again, being an audio engineer and behind the scenes. I when when I see colors that just leap out at me and, and, and go, okay, because of this, I'm drawn to this story. Um, there's another person who was the same way uh, with Dark Horse with the different Star Wars titles and Mass Effect, and that was Michael Atea. Yeah. Uh, his colors are absolutely Absolutely, and then when I heard when when he told me he was involved with the um, the great classics series and recoloring them, I'm like, okay, now I need to go back because I remember how they looked originally. Now see what he's done to to brighten them. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 really nice to have you know people that actually do you know follow colors. And and I actually had my first experience at a convention this uh, at Emerald City just the last last month. There's somebody actually came up and talked to me like you're my favorite colorist. I've, you know, we talked about, she knew all of the stuff I'd worked on. And that was my first experience with that. That was kind of bizarre to me in a good way of being, you know, like I have a fan, you know, sort of thing. And, and cause I, you know, I was, to me, I'm just a guy sitting in his office. I got kids and cats and a wife and, you know, having people enjoy my work is great, but having fans is never something I expected. And much less having people pick up a book because because my name's on it is a, a great honor. <laughs> well, you, you can add a second person to that list. Okay, I'll, I'll add a second. Okay, uh, make it a third. <laughs> third. Okay, maybe I should have like my, my my mighty Jeremy fan marching fan club or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like see, I said, that the, and, and, and the we turtles. And Weeby Geeks could be the official voice of the Jeremy Caldwell <laughs> fan club. <laughs> nice. I picked up the, the Batman Turtles because I love Batman Turtles, and the same thing with He-Man Thundercats. But I don't. I think I definitely noticed. I definitely loved your colors on those books. That was definitely a big appeal to me. Thanks. I, to me, I would think if it was slightly darker, I don't know if I would. I would be as drawn to them. It'd be especially like the Batman Turtles. Like, oh, okay, now it, it, it's a it's a darker book. If they're going right. to do this, they they, sh- they should have gone retro and, and gone complete black and white as a tribute to the original right. Turtles. Um, well, you can think. Oh, good. But I, I'm so glad they didn't. And, and like I said, your your coloring, while even even though it's a little dark, it's still bright enough to to really make things pop and really stand out and, and feel you. like a a retro book. Thanks. Yeah, a lot of that. I mean, you can like I was going. Say, you can thank Freddie and Jim Chadwick for um, pulling me back from the darkness <laughs> on that. I actually, uh, some of the first pages I turned in were like pretty dark, and we're like, well, why don't we bump up the the brightness a little bit? So, <laughs> so thank you for noticing. <laughs> 
Definitely, definitely. Now, speaking of conventions, uh, you you had a, a great little post on well, little post, a great post on <laughs> on Facebook talking about um, conventions. And yes, curious, what was the thought behind it? And well, I guess we take this in three parts. What led to that post? Uh, what was the thought behind it? And was this based on? Just you, you, this was your first convention, or this was just one of those enough is enough type things? Um, okay, to I guess to sum up for listeners, um, it was a post about um, what a comic or what what a guest at a at a comic convention how they should behave how what what kind of my mission statement was for how comic professionals should interact at a convention as far as it being um it was, it was not specific to anybody um it was more of a of a general i've been doing conventions for well, about four years now i guess um and going going to them as a as a an attendee for twenty, I think. So um, it just kind of made it, it was an observation based on my time behind the table versus my time walking the floor um, as as an attendee. And it was it was more about how I think we we as creators have a responsibility, especially the ones that are paid for by the shows to or supported by the shows to be there with either travel, hotels, whatever, free tables, um, and how that responsibility needs to, the responsibility to give each attendee a positive experience um, is, is the most important thing that we can do at a show, um, especially when we don't have costs to make, that we don't have a, a profit necessity to offset our cost of being at the show. And I kind of slide it down the scale in that post of talking about, you know, how, how the guests that are paid for have the highest responsibility, the artist alley people that have to pay for their table and some of it um, have to um, be there as much as they can to give the get, the guests or the attendees a positive experience, and then retailers have a much lower expectation to be there and give a positive ex experience to the attendees because their job is to sell stuff. I mean, they have the highest expense. So what I did in that 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 scaling basically was was show how you should how I believe a professional should act, and this is you know very biased by it's all my opinion. Um, but I've gotten quite a few reactions to it, mostly from attendees. I haven't really heard from any professionals um, talking the opposite side of it. Um, but attendees seem to really appreciate the idea that, you know, as a guest, our job is to be there for the fans, um, without whom we probably wouldn't be there because they're buying the tickets, they're buying the books, they're requesting our name to convention organizers to please have this person come to my show sort of thing. Um, and, and that was kind of where I was going going on that. It was not a rant about a specific person or um, I guess it would be more about a type of person, which is in, as, as I did clarify later, it's the vast, vast minority of creators. But it was just I'd seen it one too many times to not have it bother me. And so I was laying in bed um, Sunday night after the show and it just I just could not sleep. It just kept mulling over my head like, what is our responsibility to the fan? What is our responsibility to the convention organizers since they're the ones who brought us here? 
sort of you know right. sort of deal. And that's where that post came from. I, I, I know it could be a little controversial, I guess. Um, no, I, no. I, I think it's 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 somewhat. I you know I'm fairly diplomatic person in general, and even keeled um, and logical. Uh, I try not to throw a bunch of hyperbole into things, but um, I I think that yeah, we have a responsibility, and some people are really good at it, and some people are not. And I think those people will eventually find themselves as one convention organizer told me they will not be invited back probably so there's there's consequences to it and for guests the inconsequences not getting invited back for artist alley it's maybe not getting your name out there to where you need i mean that's their artist alley's job is to get your name known so that you can move your product make your right. products you know and then retailers if they have a bad experience they just lose money because people won't shop there right. <laughs> so <laughs> well, no, I when, when I saw it, I'm like, okay, I, I totally agree with a lot of it. Because even from a guest point of view, um, I mean, just because we've asked for you or others to be at the show doesn't mean that you're entitled to, to have everything that you bring with you signed. Right. Because um, I know, I mean, you brought up the whole, you know, someone comes up with, with a cart full of books for you to sign. Okay, I, I think there's... There's a, a limit, maybe per day, <laughs> what to sign <laughs> from one person. I mean, I, I stood in line for someone, and the, the person uh, who I think was with Jimmy and Amanda, person put up on Amanda's table probably 150 books. And Jimmy just reached over and said, she'll sign 15, maybe 20. That's it. Right. Because yeah, I, I, look I, at the line. Exactly. And that's that's actually a, uh, a nuanced thing, in my opinion, of – you know, someone at my level where I'm not, I don't have a line backing up, you know, um, if somebody wants to talk and have me sign every single thing I worked on, that's not going to affect anybody else's positive experience at the show. Um, Makes sense. But if, if you are um, holding up a line, you know, if there's, you know, even multiple people. You can say, I, can I leave the books? Uh, you know, I, can I just give you a couple? Can I make a donation to the Hero Initiative? Um, that's, you know, because I think it does, when it starts to affect other people that want to meet the creator, then that's when it is a problem. And that's when it needs to, should be limited, in my opinion, um, to a couple. And, but yeah, if, if somebody wants me to sign a lot of stuff, I'd, I've, I've signed, I think, at the most 10 books somebody wanted signed. Um, it's starting because I didn't have a lot of books to sign at that point. But <laughs> <laughs> now that I do, I don't see a whole lot of people coming up with, with every variant for Batman Turtles 1. Um, but I think that, that, yes, if you have a a lot of things to sign and you you know you really want that creator to sign everything, you're going to have to either wait for a time that they're not busy, which probably won't happen, or right. make concessions and find which books you really want. And then I think it's up to the creators to, to um, for the benefit of the others, to put a cap on, you know, you know, if they see their line is long, say, hey, I can sign five books now. If you want more, you'll have to go back to the end of the line and come back through again. Um, or make a donation. I'm, I'm very big into the donating to the Hero Initiative. I, I try and have a the box, uh, the Emerald City, they gave me one of the don donation boxes, and if anybody wanted signatures, they were free, technically, 
specifically for me, but if you wanted them, um, I, I welcomed a donation, which I think is a model that's kind of been happening in a lot more shows. Yeah. It's the donation method if you want to get excessive signatures. It, it is the, the first link, first image you see on the Weeby Geeks Friends page as well. Nice. Is Good the job. Hero Initiative. <laughs> um, part of that is I was introduced to it again by the uh, three year old teacher or three year old class teacher uh, of my daughter's who is the um, southern regional rep for for hero good so it, it's a cause I, I i stand firm behind uh yeah so, I, I always cause, tell people yeah. i tell people we just i wouldn't have this job if it weren't for those people that it's helping you know yeah right. we have an industry if it weren't for the people that the hero initiative helps so i i'm always like megacon uh i always try and go visit those people who do have the the um collection first yeah. and, and hit them up and i always you know i might bring 20 bucks you know 15 of it in ones but i'm sharing the wealth <laughs> amongst everyone going Thanks. yeah thank you for for signing and here's not you're doing heroes here here's my contribution for for signing cool yeah that's good so um now i i have a slightly different rant about conventions which <laughs> okay. we've talked about many times um, go for it <laughs> how how do you feel about with comic conventions bringing in quote-unquote, high-level cosplayers as celebrities to the shows? Um, honestly, I I haven't given it a whole lot of thought. Um, <laughs> I I enjoy the cosplay aspect of conventions. I, you know, when I see people, you know, putting so much effort into um, expressing their, their fandom for specific characters or creators or properties... Um, to me, that 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 kind of takes it to a new level sometimes of oh, of enthusiasm for the the process. The you know the, co- the cosplay on the floor, I have no issues with. As far as them being invited as guests, um, I think I'm doing a couple shows where they are this year. I, I looked at the, the the homepage where it showed all the the people, the guests, and they were all celebrity and and uh, co- you know actors, cosplayers, writers, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. Uh, honestly, <laughs> if if I would have to say that as a convention organizer, I can only imagine they're doing it if there's a business and a business reason and a fan reason. There must be fan outreach or or some somehow they know that this is what fans are wanting or they're testing. To right. see if that's what they want. Um, so, it, it, if that's what it helps for conventions to stay, you know, afloat and get more people to come, um, that's always good in my book. Whatever gets people in the door and excited about comics, I try not to be too um, opposed to, unless it's something I really, you know, philosophically disagree with. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't really met any of them. I never meet any of the the, the celebrity guests, the actors, or I know that they they, they usually cost quite a quite a chunk of change um but um i don't know what this what the situation is with cosplayers how that if people meet them at booths or if they're at tables i I honestly don't know some um i know there's been some where they'll put like your higher level ones like ivy doom kitty or um jen nagara was it jen nagara i don't know no idea yeah (laughs) Um, I mean, when so, I, so I've heard of Ivy. That's <laughs> but they'll, they'll put them in the same same row as like all the voice talent, and I'm like, eh. I mean, don't get me wrong; they could be the nicest people in the world, but I think they either need to be over in Artist Alley 
or have a separate section of their own if they're going to be garnered that type of celebrity. Um, it's and I just question actually paying for their hotel, paying for their flights and everything else to come in um, because all they're doing is they're they're online pimping pictures to to help raise money for the next costume. And yeah, I I don't know as far as as if if they're paying you know airfare and hotel and all that that's I guess a business decision but yeah. I I know that for every one of those they do they're one less creator they can probably fly in and, and, um, so as a creator obviously my my support would go behind you know flying in a new comic creator but as a convention organizer balancing everything out um, and I, I know Jim DeMonico's, you know, and, and Ron Brister and some of the, the Brian Meredith around here, they, I know they, their intention is always to host the best show for fans they can. Right. And, and I, I have to believe that for some, some reason there's, there's, there's a business reason behind it as far as how it actually affects the show positively. Um, so that's all I know. I, I, like I said, I don't have a lot of experience. I haven't even, I mean, this is pretty much the first time I've really discussed it. So, right. <laughs> so all this is off the cuff. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm going to say I'm not exactly the, um, I'm, I'm not saying I'm exactly right on this. Uh, obviously it's, it's just my opinion uh, because I'm going to Star Wars celebration here in 28 days. And again, there's cosplayers left and right at that show. And, and I'm all for the cosplay, but you don't see in the autograph halls, you don't see featured cosplayers in the autograph hall. It's all voice talent or talent who was in the movies. And, And I think everyone's cool with it there. And no one complains of, oh, how come we don't have this person who does a female fet costume that everyone knows her for, or this person who does Slave Leia that everyone knows her for. You, you still find them on, on the floor. And, and I'm okay with people, you know, people cosplaying on the floor. I just don't get where some cos- cosplayers or why some conventions, they don't look at who the local celebrity cosplayers are as opposed to bringing people in. Highlight the ones local. Give them a, a chance to shine. Give them their 15 minutes of glory if you're going to pay anyone. Right. Well, well I, 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 I definitely think- on the, the local talent thing, I, I'm very much in fan of in favor of local talent being supported. Well, like so, you so- said, it, it is a business decision. So it, it might be a question of who's going to bring more money into the convention. Yeah, right. It's that debate, and it's we we have it every now and then, especially when convention <laughs> season comes up, and when we I see that person pulled in how much money this last year, and all they did was conventions. Right. Yeah. That that does. I think there was an article. Um, Stephen Amell, I think, was talking about his his uh, group. I guess he has a company now that does it, uh, sends people to all the conventions and how much yeah. they make. And yeah. I was like, man, I'm in the wrong business. I know, right? <laughs> uh, was it? Nor- normally- I mean, I, I can't do that little bar lifty thing that he does, but you know. <laughs> oh, um, was it? Norman Reedus pulls in something like 500 grand a year. He pulls in 250 grand and that's just conventions. Wow. And, and that and that's not the the flights, that's not the hotel, that's just 
total take on what he he gets for autographs and photos at, at shows. Right, and, and, and again, and, and his people fees. are paying it. That's <laughs> that's that's. Yeah. I mean, they get a lot of. I believe conventions have often a a contractual agreement to minimally give that person X number of dollars just to show up, and then yeah. they have to if they don't sell enough prints or signatures or whatever, then they're the the organizer has to make the difference. Uh, right. Up to that dollar amount, but but basically, yeah. If, if people didn't pay that, they wouldn't. Be. I mean, yeah. that's that's it's you know it's it's a. I'm not a big free market guy, but that's a free market process. But <laughs> but I but I've heard that some of these top cosplayers. Now I'm not talking Yaya Han because Yaya Han shows up like here at MegaCon every year because it's an eight hour drive from Atlanta. But she sets up a booth on the exhibit floor because she has stuff that she sells and she does everything at her booth. Cool, I'm fine with that. She's not That's with the others. Um, but some of these others, you know, when I hear they travel around the country and all they're doing is being, you know, they have their flights, they have the room and board, and then they're sitting next to media talent and, and they're pulling in six figures a year and all they do is fly around and do conventions and, they, and they've quit their real job to do that. I'm like, okay. I To me, there's a problem with that. It's like, cool, you found your niche, you found that career, but it's, you know, like you mentioned, not bringing Bringing them in brings in other creators from the comic realm or or other actors that I think deserve just as much, if not more, since it is a comic convention, not a cosplay convention. Yeah, I mean, I can see the, uh, both sides of it. I, I mean, I, I, right, yeah. I don't know. Now, those cosplayers I've seen in Artist Alley or part of a booth on the exhibit floor, I have no problems with them uh, and talk to them all the time. It's, you know, when I'm at shows, it's the ones in in the autograph hall that I'll talk to them, but I'm leery about purchasing because it's... It's that belief I have that some of these others are are over in autograph alley or over in artist alley or on the floor, it, you know, and with the exhibitors and dealers. I think that's where you should be as well. But. Yeah, I just, I just, I don't have enough experience, really. I mean, because they were they came after I started doing conventions on the other side of the table, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as I was not an attendee um, when I mean, cosplay was just getting started. I think when I was starting to do uh, being a t- uh, on a guest on the other side of the table so yeah i haven't had a chance really to interact except for the ones that come in front of my table and you know get photos and say hi and right, stuff right which have always been very cool people <laughs> so now ha- have you had a cosplayer that you see um year after year at a show um that you you wanted to use for like an art study briefly you know hey can i get a quick sketch um to, to check something out since you're you're kind of dressed as a character that i'm i'm potentially working on no, I haven't actually. I, I mean, I I talk to them a lot because I you know I compliment a lot of the cosplayers on on their designs or their execution of the costume. Um, usually, we talk about you know, hey, that's you know really great. You know, you do a a, a female Captain America mashup type thing, or and I talk more in that aspect. But I have not. I don't know any cosplayers. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recognize them from year to year, probably, um, or show to show. Even even though I'm pretty much local to the Northwest shows. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never asked for doing a, a, using them as a model or a sketch or, or hiring them uh, later on as like, 
I, I think uh, I, well, I think I don't know. Maybe some people do hire out as as reference models for for projects they're working on. Um, but I just talk to them about their costumes and the character they're they're portraying usually, and what okay. they think of the show. <laughs> you know, what's been one of the craziest or scariest fans that you've ever had show up at your table? Um, I have a lot of really cool fans. Or people, I, I, I like a lot of people, and I have a wide range of tolerance for different behaviors. Um, that nothing really gets under my skin, nothing really freaks me out. I did have one guy. That this is the only time this has happened, but he wanted me to sign a whole bunch of turtles. Uh, action figures and things that I had no connection with. Um, I, I, okay. I'm not sure. I tried to explain it. Um, he wanted me to sign this poster that I didn't work on. It had a turtle. He was just a huge Turtles fan and knew that I was going to be there. Um, and I don't think he really understood that I'm not the creator of the turtles. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I, I think he just, he, he didn't quite understand the process and who I was specifically. And I couldn't really explain it to him. Um, so he, he was a very nice, very, yeah. very, very nice guy, but, and I just, I could tell he didn't quite understand. So I ended up just signing stuff, thanking him, but that was, <laughs> that's about the, probably the most bizarre where I just could, the communication just couldn't work. It, is you know I was trying to explain over and over about uh, you know those are great action figures I really like the designs I didn't do anything with them <laughs> um, but if you want me to deface the box I can do that um, so <laughs> so I ended up signing them so there are some turtles action figures out there with my signature on them <laughs> well you tried I, well, he, it, he he went away happy which was you know went away that's my you know my uh, uh, my my saying is everybody has to have a positive experience at the show <laughs> well if you ever if you ever make it to megacon i'll be that first creepy person for you i, I tried i wanted to go to megacon but yes you can be my creep i got a couple okay. of creepy friends that now uh, that uh, come see me at every show that harass me but uh people i've met at the shows i always little side note every every convention i do i try to meet new people that usually they're in artist alley or whatever and go out to dinner with people i'd never have met uh-huh. I try and get a group a group of people that I've never never talked to before in my life and just get a group together to go out to dinner one of the nights of the show. And so cool. those people actually have turned into pretty good, consistent friends at shows now. So, every, so it's kind of fun. It's just a fun little social, not a social experiment, but you know, I work from home by myself all the time. So being social <laughs> is not the natural format I'm in. <laughs> so so, sure. so, live, so living in the basement, playing video games and, and coloring, but That's living right. in your own home instead of your mom's home takes that exactly. cool factor up a notch. <laughs> I, I have, I have you know, my, my, my office is pretty, uh, I got Star Wars action figures and stuff everywhere, Transformers. And I, ah, I, nice. I, got, I got real man cave stuff here. All right. <laughs> then, and you need to be coming down to Star Wars Celebration. I heard about that. Uh, oh, it's a it's great show. Huge. It's a great I, show. I've never done any of those type, like the, the Star Trek one. that I have, I have friends that go to that all the time. Um, I was more of a Star Wars guy myself, so Star Wars would be more my thing. But um, um, I just never get around to any of that stuff. Probably, probably your best bet, uh, you know, if, if you're having to go on your own, is probably wait till it's back in Anaheim, which the next show after this year is going to be in uh, 2019. Oh, does it bounce back and forth? Um last couple the last four uh well the celebration five and six were here in orlando 
then they did Europe number two, which was in Germany in 2013, 2015. Getting ready for or for episode seven was in Anaheim. Um, and then last year it was in London and then this year it's here and then they're waiting two years and suspicion is it's going to be either Anaheim or California, either Anaheim or here with the release of Star Wars land for, for Disney. Oh, that's right. Well, that, that'll and actually I, work out I, I pretty w- well. And I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they went bi-coastal with it and, and did it on both coasts at the same time. That'd be a huge promotion. Yeah. That, that, that yeah. would be awesome. Well, I need to be down there about that time because my son wants to go to UCLA or USC for for film studies, so ah, ah, nice. so following about, the George about Lucas, the time he's going to school, Steven Spielberg path, <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I'll be going. To, I'll be spending more time down in uh, the L.A. area. <laughs> so cool. then maybe I'll hit it up. <laughs> awesome. Um, you have any more questions, Derek? <laughs> I, I, I'm just drawing a blank, and I'm trying to get back on track. We're, we're, we're like Crazy Train, which was the title of last week's show. Uh, we get off the rails sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fairly typical for conversations with me. I, I tend to ramble, and, and especially you know if I haven't talked for a long time. So uh, mm-hmm. this this definitely counts as I haven't talked in days, really. So <laughs> I tend to ramble. Well, that's good for a podcast. Uh, that's, sure. <laughs> Um, no, I think I think all my questions have been covered. Where cool. can people find you on the internet or interwebs or the endless hole that you use your computer to go explore? I still mostly am a Facebook guy, um, so I post there frequently. Like. I post updates and are quite frequently, probably every day I post something at least, I think. Um, I'm also, uh, and I just use my name, Jeremy Caldwell. Uh, same for Twitter. I believe I'm at Jeremy Caldwell. I don't know. I'm not very good with that. Um, so, uh, yeah, at Jeremy underscore Caldwell for Twitter. But and then I also have a Tumblr and an Instagram and a YouTube channel. They're all using my name. So if you if you Google me and Tumblr, Instagram, or YouTube, um, you'll find me. Uh, I do YouTube, though, is, is the only really unique one for me because I will record my working on pages or pieces. And then I usually speed them up um, about 10 times and toss in a, a soundtrack and upload them so people can actually watch me create some of the pieces that I do. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, the YouTube thing. But yeah, mostly Facebook and Twitter are my two main haunts. Okay. So cool. I, and I do have a website, but I don't use it hardly at all. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it for years. Um, you know, it's CaldwellIllustration.com, and I think I've up, updated it. I updated it a couple months ago, and that was like the first update in like a year. It's just social media has made it so much more convenient just to post something and get all. You know, I got a lot of Facebook people that follow me, so it's a lot easier to disseminate information there well i did uh at the beginning of this interview i did check that your uh your website and it did lead me to your twitter and facebook so oh i did okay good <laughs> cool well we thank you for coming on the show and yeah, definitely you gotta come back especially when the rest of the crew's here as well see how many repeat yeah. questions we get <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah hopefully really- i'll be able to talk about some stuff that <laughs> some of my new yeah, stuff. Some projects well it's really yeah. cool getting a uh, colorist perspective on things yeah you don't get to uh, talk to, to colorists too often so yeah we, we tend to hide in our little holes <laughs> Some, sometimes talking to the writer or talking to the artist is just black and white. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I will give you props because I am I give lots of bad puns and, and yeah. uh, that was a little painful. <laughs> <laughs> 
Eh, at least I keep it colorful. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not the note I should probably leave it on, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll work. But you know, that's the note we will leave it on. <laughs> so in, until next week, want to know more? <laughs> The bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production.